Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And welcome to Sports Cage. This is Don, along with uh, producer Sean Kleisinger, known in elite <laughs> social circles as Zinger Sports Cage. Well, it's brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreational groups. And don't forget to call or text on our text line, uh, powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, Saskatchewan's number one uh, GM dealership. That's 306-936-6262, toll-free, 1-866-767-0620. And we'll have Zinger, uh, well, he'll uh, read out the text if you want to text us a question yeah. or a comment, or we'll throw you on the air and let you uh, bark out some signals. I'd also like to welcome... Uh, to the uh, our audience, all the dogs and cats uh, listening in, including Candy the Terrier. I'd also like to welcome Rob Vanstone, veteran Leader Post columnist, who knows personally Candy the Terrier. How are you doing, Rob? <laughs> Good, thanks, uh, Don. How are you doing? Candy sends her best as well. Well, and we appreciate Candy listening. Uh, she's a discerning uh listener and we better not screw up here can she play o-line yeah can she play o-line <laughs> she's pretty big she might be able to rob well she uh she's aggressive she does initiate some sort of contact uh because she likes to mob <laughs> everybody but uh, uh i think she'd probably get penalized for holding because she's a hugger yeah yeah that's for sure now you did a great job writing up about the plaza of honor inductees uh, this past week or last week i guess it was uh, even did a good job on the big screen at the game Friday against the BC Lions. I got a, a question I want to ask you, though. Uh, you waxed poetic, and rightfully so, about Weston Dressler. Uh, Weston Dressler, I would say, in, in my books, is probably in my top five Rough Riders of all time. And I know you love, absolutely love, your idol, uh, Joey Walters. Love Joey Walters. So who is, was better, Weston Dressler or Joey Walters? Over a long stretch of time, it would have been Weston Dressler because he, just, he was with the Rough Riders from 20, 2008 to 2015. But I don't think there's ever been a receiver in Rider history who's been better than Joey Walters was in 1981. Uh, 91 catches for 1,715 yards and 14 touchdowns in 16 games. 
established a rider single season receiving yardage record that has rarely been approached, even though the team, teams now play 18 games instead of 16. And then right. the following year, he had 1,692. And uh, again, that one's real. Nobody's ever gotten anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. So uh, over those two, and, and they did that without, you know, a premier quarterback. It was John Huffnagel, Joe Barnes, Joe Adams throwing to Joey over those two years. What if they'd had, what if he played with more and more and Moon or Dieter Brock, somebody of that, <laughs> or Conrad Holloway, Tom Clements. Uh, we're talking a 2,000 yard receiver. We're probably talking a Hall of Famer. Uh, but in terms of the, the body of work over a number of years, I mean, Weston Dressler, he belongs in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and there just shouldn't be any, any doubt about his candidacy. Right, and, and Joey Walters, he just wasn't on a good enough team to win a great cup. But I, I think your analysis is good. Nobody can touch that one season for Joy, uh, but Dressler had probably a little bit better career, but he, he had some better teammates around him at times. Now, you know, there's the old uh, three phases of football, Rob, uh, you know, Offense, defense, special teams. you got to win two to win a football game Friday against the BC Lions. Saskatchewan won special teams. They lost offense and defense. Now, you've talked and written a lot uh, about the problems on offense. In terms of O-line versus quarterback and with the issues that they both have, what percentage would you lay these problems on the O-line and the quarterback, like 50-50, 80-20, where where would you put it in a percentage terms with the struggle that the two are having? Because I don't think you can win a football game or rarely win a football game if you don't have good quarterbacking and a good O-line. The four aspects of of offense are really centered on those two areas. So what's the percentage, would you say? Yeah, I would say 80-20, maybe 70-30, with the larger figure being uh, attached to the offensive line. I go back, and, and John, Don, you'll remember this because we're both extremely old, but I go back to 1979, <laughs> and, and the Rough Riders had Tom Clements, who played at a Hall of Fame level before he joined the Rough Riders in a, in a trade shortly before training camp, and played at a Hall of Fame level after he, uh, after he was mercifully traded by the Rough Riders after seven games in 1979. And uh, so before and after, Tom Clements was just tremendous. But he played behind an offensive line that I, that I dare say is comparable to what the Rough Riders currently have. And what did Tom Clements do with the Rough Riders? Two touchdown passes, 11 interceptions. And uh, so I look at that, and that is the, I think that is the kind of detrimental effect that a bad offensive line can have. At one point, last time I checked, after Tom Clements had played, after Cody Fajardo had started seven games this year, he had been sacked at a rate comparable to that which Tom Clements was sacked in 1979. So I think it was one out of every seven or eight passing attempts he was he was being sacked. So we are seeing this for it's kind of a scary flashback. It's very reminiscent of 1979. Uh, back then, the Rough Riders had a young offensive line that, was given time to grow and, and over time. And it didn't take too long. And Neil Quilter and, and uh, Roger Aldag and Bob Poley, they turned into tremendous players. Um, here, there d- doesn't really seem like there's that same approach. It's not like you're looking at this line thinking, okay, you give it time, it's going to be really good. You just got to be patient. There really hasn't been any progress. And that's what's alarming. I think you can live with it if you think somebody's going to turn into a Roger Aldag or a Bob Poley, but I just don't see 
that right now you see Logan Furlan taking some steps. I think Logan Bandy, the more time he gets at center, I think that's that's positive. But this is a really tough tough time to learn you when you're playing in a very tough West Division and the Great Cup is being played in Regina this year. They just don't have the luxury of patience. Okay, uh, so you're saying 80-20. I'd say my thoughts would be maybe 65-35 O-line to quarterback. Uh, you know, it really bothered me what uh, and how Cody Vajardo spoke yesterday about his confidence. Oh, I might get pulled again. I go back to Kent Austin, uh, who is super confident at all times. Uh, would spit in your face if you said anything to him, really, and just walk off. Uh, yet, you know, he, the confidence came through with that big march in the 89 Grey Cup down the field to set up Dave Ridgway's uh, winning field goal. Are you concerned? I mean, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that the O-line isn't part of the reason Cody Fajardo's lost his confidence, but are you concerned uh, how you can lead a team when you are saying you're not confident and you'll probably get pulled again, how, how do you lead a group of men onto the field saying things like that, Rob? Yeah, you wonder if they're defeated before they start in that situation. It's Cody Vajardo being very honest, and he, he always is, and uh, he's, he speaks from the heart, and he's a very sincere individual. But that's alarming when you hear that. And how do you just snap your fingers and get that confidence? Um, it's not like the Rough Riders have really done anything since Friday to engender or foster confidence that things will be better on Friday. Uh, the Lions won't have Nathan Rourke, but they'll still have the same defense that gave them fits on on last Friday night. So what promise is there that he's going to be able to have more protection than he did last time? And, and I wonder, is there now going to be that little voice in his head thinking, if I don't start off well, I'm going to get pulled again? Um, and You know, I talked to Jason Moss about it today, and, and try to provide a bit of perspective on it and you know, Jason Moss played in a situation where he was a starter and he was a backup but in 2005 when Edmonton won the Grey Cup one of the keys behind that was if and when Ricky Ray was faltering and believe it or not Ricky Ray did falter in mm-hmm. came Jason Moss in some pretty crucial games to, to win it for the for Edmonton and, and so being benched doesn't necessarily mean that all is lost you know, Ricky Ray had the great 2005 Great Cup game for Edmonton, but if not for Jason Moss, they probably don't get to that game. And if not for some setbacks along the way uh, for Ricky Ray, I don't. You know, and, and and Jason Moss rec- rescuing the team from it a bit. I'm not sure they extricate themselves from that situation. So maybe there's at least a, an example there that Jason can or ha- can you know provide to Cody that look, this happens to quarterbacks. You know, you can shake it off and you can still be that guy at the end of the year. I totally agree. Uh, I totally agree. Not all is lost if you get benched. Uh, right now, uh, it looks like they are benching Bo in Calgary. Uh, Jake Mayer is going to be starting their next game. Uh, there's the difference between the two Dickinson brothers. Uh, Craig uh, didn't hesitate to say uh, yesterday that, no, we're going with Cody uh, in BC, we knew we were going with Cody right away, and uh, Dave is making a change. It's the two brothers, but they're obviously a, they're thinking differently, are they not? I, I yeah. guess Mayor has more experience and has is more of a proven commodity than 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 Fine. You know, but still, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell has done more in his CFL career than his Cody Fajardo. That is, he's done more than most quarterbacks, 
um, you know, two Grey Cup championships, two MOPs. He's not an old quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but for that decision to be made, again, maybe that's something that Cody can look at and say, well, if they can bench Bowley by Mitchell, they can certainly sit me down. Um, what what happened in hockey after Gretzky got traded? Nobody ever felt safe again. Nobody ever felt untouchable again. How many hockey players have said, well, Gretzky got traded, so don't rule anything out? Uh, again, if you're Cody Pajardo, maybe you look at it and just, you know, okay, the honeymoon is over here in Saskatchewan, but I, it's not necessarily unsalvageable, but I think he has to somehow be able to manufacture some confidence and, and be a little, or be a lot more confident in the pocket. And, uh, it looks like he's almost seeing or hearing ghosts right now, and that's that's kind of scary. I mean, and it's just human nature. I think he's probably spent far too much time behind that offensive line, and there's no reason for him to trust it. Right. You know, I go to the oblique injury he had in 2019. I looked at some, some footage of, of Cody throwing footballs in 2019. His arm was clearly stronger, and this was before the oblique injury. I looked at, at footage of Cody playing last season and then this year now i don't know if you'll agree with this but to me it it almost looks like each progressing year of course he missed 2020 each progressing year his arm seems to have weakened i mean for example his first interception last friday against bc all he did he looked like don hewitt playing touch football he didn't have a strong enough arm so all he did was throw the ball as far as he could on that first pick with really no knowledge of where it's going to go. He just, just tried to throw it as far as he could. And of course it's picked off. Do you see, do you see that, that, or, or, or am I crazy that his arm seems to be weakening? You know, is it the arm weakening or is it the mechanics being affected by the knee injury? Can he step into his throws the way he needs to? Are there the, are there just physical issues, the knee injury being well documented that prevent him from being able to, throw the way the ball the way mechanically a quarterback needs to or does that relate back to to a lack of confidence where he just feels like he's got to unload it does he does he feel like he can stand in the pocket and deliver the ball you know properly it looks to me like there's a lot of throws that are coming off the back foot it looks like he isn't stepping into his throws his footwork just does not look at all reminiscent of, of 2019 and uh I look at some of the deep passing stats compared to most of the other quarterbacks in the league and eliminate Nathan Rourke because that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But there are other quarterbacks that are around in the same boat as Cody Pajardo when it comes to completions of 20-plus yards. He's not necessarily an outlier when you look at it. Um, it's just not a strong year for quarterbacks overall in the Canadian Football League. It's so easy to focus on Cody and, and, and the difficulties he's having. But if you subtract... Nathan Rourke, if you subtract Bo Levi Mitchell, I don't really think anybody's lighting it up in this league. And I think people were forgetting, too, how good the BC defense was last Friday. They've allowed the least yards in the CFL, so including Winnipeg. BC's ahead of Winnipeg and how many yards uh, they've, uh, you know, given up, as well as first downs. BC's number one in in uh, first downs on defense, not allowing first downs. So have we sort of missed this? Uh, I mean, can can BC with Mike O'Connor at quarterback still defeat Saskatchewan based on their defense? Yeah, you would you would think so because that's a pretty good defense and playing against a struggling offense. And the basic dynamic hasn't changed. Very good BC pass rush against bad Rough Rider offensive line. That seems to me to radiate gross mismatch. 
Now, maybe the Rough Riders can do a little bit more defensively now that they're not facing Nathan Rourke, but they've still got that tremendous core of receivers that that has to be uh, reckoned with. But the Rough Riders are in a situation, I don't think, now where they think we've got to score 30, 35 points to win. It's not like they have to win a shootout. If they can get into the 20s, they might be able to win this game. The, the question is, can they get into the 20s? Can they even score in the second half? They haven't done that the last two games. Right. Uh, now, you've seen this before. Uh, you've seen everything. You, you've seen winning. You've seen losing. You've seen comebacks. Uh, like, you know, 97, they made it to the Grey Cup. People wanted to run them out of town. 89, towards the end of the season, they wanted to run Saskatchewan players, including Glenn Suter, who's going to be on later, out of town. Uh, when you look at what's happening with his team right now, do you think uh, they can turn around? Do you see any historical sort of uh, references that you could point out where a team can turn it around from where they're at now being one and four in their last five? I remember the 97 team, and that was a team that went eight and ten. They got to the Great Cup, and it, it looked around midseason like it was hopeless. They, they, I mean, there was a quarterback controversy brewing. It was the Reggie Slack-Kevin Mason debate. There was there was Katie Williams and Lamar McGriggs and some controversy there. They, they, they unloaded two premier linebackers two starting linebackers around mid-season there was that was just a, not an easy ride for that team overall and they ended up getting getting to the gray cup so again never say never but mm-hmm. i you just look at again maybe it's i'm over emphasizing it but i just look at that offensive line and how that just inhibits the potential of anything the rough riders aspire to do or can do on offense and just wonder mm-hmm. and unless unless the CFL game reverts back to what it was last season where there isn't a lot of offense, um, uh, I'm not sure what you can reasonably expect of the Rough Riders. If if the game evolves to the point where you can score 15 points and win, maybe. It would have to be such a defensively um, powered stretch run. Right. And, uh, and is that that really seems to be contradictory to way the, at least the way the CFL is, is being played this season. It's just uh, a lot of the explosiveness is back. Uh, just it's just that the Rough Riders don't seem to have much of it. Well, I thought they should, you know, commit to running the ball more last Friday, and I think in some respects Jason Moss did. But then, you know, at the start of the year they were running the ball better, but then he, he realized, man, they're missing Dan Clark on the run game. I, you know, he was working out on on the field two hours before kickoff last Friday and he looked pretty good working out, very dedicated guy. But you go back to 97, Cal Murphy installed that uh, option offense that Reggie Slock basically ran at Auburn. And I know you remember that. And I was thinking, you know, hey, what happens if Jason Moss threw through an option offense at somebody towards the end of the season? Cody would probably be really good at running that. Uh, you know, like you said, crazier things could happen. Could an option offense help? You know, first of all, I think you need a quarterback who has that kind of mobility, and I don't think Cody's going to have that. Um, you know, Reggie Slack was basically a fullback playing quarterback during the 1997 <laughs> That's playoff. true, yeah. And, and then they had Mike Saunders running the ball well. Even Sean Daniels was running the ball well. Curtis Mayfield made some big plays, and they, they had some over-the-top plays. Don Narcisse had a long touchdown catch in the West semifinal victory over Calgary. Um, they just don't seem to have that any kind of big play potential because I just don't think they they have the time to, to, to pull that off. Now, what if Jeremy O'Day can find, and Paul Jones can find some NFL cuts? What if they can 
load up that offensive line, even play play three Americans if you have to, but just patch that up as as as, as much as you can. Maybe that buys them a gives them a bit of oomph going down the stretch. The problem is before the NFL makes its final cuts and before those players become available, uh, how much of the Rough Rider season is going to expire? And at that point, you know, they'll certainly be getting all but completely out of mathematical contention in the West. Um, and can they go through the East? It's never been done before. The Rough Riders came closer than anybody ever has in 2017 to doing it. But I don't know. It's uh, It really seems like a tall order. And it's easy to, to, to dump on a team and maybe too easy when it hits a, hits a low point as it has now, four losses and in five games. Maybe it's never as bad, quite as bad as it seems. It's still a five and five team, but uh, it's not like Friday's game was an aberration. We've seen repeated performances like that. Even when the Rough Riders were winning last year consistently, the offense was, was struggling. They were nine and four in games that, that mattered last year during the regular season. They had a meaningless finale in Hamilton. But for a lot of that season, especially after the first few wins, uh, the ongoing refrain pertained to the deficiencies of the offense. So it's not a recent phenomenon. And uh, that's what's worrisome. It's just uh, it's become a chronic issue. And can you, can you turn that around that quickly when it, it seems to be so ingrained? Rob, you are a football scholar and an outstanding person. Thanks for joining us on Sports Cage. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for going 0 for 2. I appreciate the compliments, Don. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Rob. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. Driven to deep right field. Marte back, turning, looking. See ya. There's the home run. Number 47 in the Yankees lead 2-0. Looks like Max Scherzer kind of just outsmarted himself. The last fastball, he snuck right down the middle. Judge took, thinking he could do it again. Not this time. Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge blasts his 47th home run of the season, leading the Yankees past the Mets in Game 1 of 2 of the Subway Series last night, 4-2 the final score. Much needed for the Yankees as they have struggled in the month of August with a 6-14 record. New York have an eight-game lead over the Rays and an eight-and-a-half game lead over the Blue Jays in the American League East. Aaron Judge delivers today's Sports Cage clutch performance for Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator Gleaner, and Fent dealer, call 781-1077. Let's head over to Mosaic Stadium now where Riders head coach Craig Dickinson spoke after practice today. What do you get out of Frankie Hickson that you you wouldn't get out of Jamal Moore? What, what's the difference between the two of them? Well, there's not much, as you know. Um, Frankie, I think I described this earlier, but I, I, I'll go back to it. He is, is kind of like uh, the Speedy Gonzalez. You know, he has great acceleration. Um, I think J-Mo's got a little more uh, left and right, a little more lateral quickness. But, man, Frankie, when he puts his foot in the ground and goes, North-South, he's got a lot of speed. So I think you got a little more downhill, tail, traditional tailback style with Frankie. But other than that, they're real similar. Both very good football players and, and really good teammates. Yeah, we wish we had him, but we feel good about Frankie. And we got Keenan LaFrance on the roster, too. And he's, he's on the roster, Britt, to, to do just that, play special teams and give us depth at, at tailback. So we feel like we got enough. Yeah, I'd like to see him. Hopefully we can wear, wear our team down a little bit with him. Um, I think he's, you know, I think he's going to have a good game. He's had a good season. He's done everything we've asked of him. I think, uh, I think we're going to be just fine at tailback. It almost seemed like you bailed on the running game in the 
first quarter uh, last week. Is that true? Yeah, yes and no. I, I don't think it was by choice. We were, we were running a lot of what we call RPOs, where it's a run-pass option. Um, you know, the, the answer is just call a few more hard runs where there is no option. But at the same time, you know, we're trying to gain first down. So we'll talk as a staff and see if there's a way we can get a little more uh, of a run emphasis. Because I do think when you run the football, there's a lot of good that can happen. So we're going we're gonna to keep looking at that and try to do a better job of that. Is he more of a home run hitter in terms of uh, Dixon compared to more? Possibly, but they're both similar speed. I know Frankie's got the long one here at home. Uh, but J-Mo, you know, he scored on returns and stuff. So... I think they both have probably similar speed. Dixon's talked about, you know, already, you know, post-football career that he's talking about going into coaching. Is that something, as your coach, you notice? He seems very well-spoken. He's got a high football. I will discourage him from that decision, 100%. (laughs) He can do way better than that. (laughs) But if he does decide to go into coaching, he will do a great job. And anytime, anytime you got a player that wants to get into coaching, that's a pretty good sign because it means they... They love the game and they love the love the work that goes into it. So that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. Just try to get back to doing what we do best. You know, whatever that is. We're trying to do things that Cody does well. Uh, we're going to try to put people around him that he's comfortable with, and really just just focus on doing the little things right. That's the the message this week. Do the little things right, and play hard. And just we'll see see what the score says at the end of the game. But that's the. That's the idea, and it's not just offensively, but you are correct, offensively for sure, that's something we gotta do. I think they're gonna be a fine bunch, because they've got a good locker room, they've got a good coaching staff, and I think what you'll see is, is uh, I think they'll rally around the new quarterback, and I think, I think they'll come out with real good energy. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure there's some concern. Anytime you lose a guy like Rourke, I think you're, you're concerned a little bit, but you know, the guy replacing him, He's no slouch, you know, Michael's been in the league a few years now and won some games, um, and they'll figure out a way to, to do what he does best, and, and the other guys know they'll have to pick up some slack. You're trying to think of ways you can take advantage. Yes, we are, we are. We, we got some film on him, and we've watched it, so. Uh, but he's a good football player. I mean, played at Penn State, Calgary had him. He's, he's been there and done that, so I'm sure he's excited for his chance, and I'm sure he'll he'll come out there guns blazing. Is it a challenge with the limited CFL film he has compared to yeah, a little bit, but uh, um, he does have film, you know, and we're still going to do what we do, similar to what we say on offense. We'll still do what we do, but we'll, we'll try to get a feel for what he does best and, and try to take it away. Oh, yep, nice. yep. And I think it's important to get the passing game going, too. You know, we're going to try to do things that he does well, and we're going to try to get him some easy throws early and, and try to run the football. And uh, after that, you know, the, the flow of the game kind of takes over and you got to do what you got to do after that. But we want to get him going early in the game, that's for sure. Where do things stand with Justin McKinnis right now? Still didn't practice today, uh, Rob, and so I just don't know. I think he's probably out for the week. So what would the next move be there then? Uh, well, the, what we're looking at right now is, is Emilis will, will play. We'll, we'll start uh, Samuel. We'll move Shafe Baker inside, and then we're hoping Picton or Hardy can go also. Is Schaefer Baker kind of intriguing as an inside guy with his athleticism? Yeah, that yeah. Some yeah, he is. But we also want to try to keep him at the same spot as much as we can so he knows what he's doing. He's, he's done a nice job this year, and Justin as well, moving from spot to spot and doing what he needs to do. So we'll meet as a staff afterwards, see how the receivers did today, and um, we'll, we'll want to be on the field tomorrow with what we see as our starting five. So we got to make sure we know who's, who's well, who's maybe 
50-50 and who we think can go. Is it fair to say it's cautious optimism with Moore and Shaq? Cautious optimism is a good word, yeah. Um, I thought I thought Shaq had some moments today look pretty good, but I, I want to go visit with him. You know, he'll know he'll know better than anybody whether he feels he can go. Uh, Swerve Swerve's gonna go. I can say that for a fact. He he looks good and he looks like he's ready to roll. Derek Moncrief, for him listed as a linebacker to be able to stick with Brian Burnham the way he does, what does that say about him as a player? As an athlete? Very versatile. Uh, he's got he's got great athleticism and he. He can, he can blitz, he can be a box player, and he can cover. So that's what makes him so valuable. Anytime your Sam linebacker can do all three, you're in good shape. Man. And he's just such a smart player back there, too. He knows, he knows what's going on. He communicates well. He's, it's good to have him back there. Has he evolved into more of a hybrid guy than just strictly a yeah. conventional linebacker? Yeah, yeah. And, and that position, Rob, has evolved over the years. You know, you got a guy like Chip Cox that plays there. You know, it used to be a true linebacker, but now it's a nickel slash dime sort of guy that has the ability to blitz, but also can cover. And uh, I think Moncrief is as good as anybody playing that spot. That's a good matchup. I know Moncrief's looking forward to it. I'm sure Burnham is too. Those are two good football players. On the injury report, you have Jeremy Clark and Anthony Neer on non-football related. We saw you suspended Johnson. Yeah. Is that connected? No, not connected. No, Jeremy was sick yesterday. Uh, so was Anthony. So they both had the flu. So Anthony still don't feel quite right, so we left him in today. Jeremy was out here. The host of In the Huddle, Brendan McGuire, joins us today on Sports Cage. Uh, Brendan doing a great job of hosting In the Huddle. I was on the show a few weeks ago, and I saw live and in person what a good job he does. He's also a great sports writer. However, he's in the banking business, so he's... Brendan, you're killing two birds with one stone. Yeah, I, I, I do my best, but uh, it's really the production staff at Access that does an amazing job. Spencer Burridge and Graham Kondo help us out, and Spencer's come up with lots of different ideas. So we're constantly making changes, and it's the first year we've had this crew together, myself and uh, Marshall Hamilton and Olivia Lawrence, and we're just finding our way. Right, and I mean, I've listened to Marshall for years, always uh, great insights from Marshall Hamilton, the former Rough Rider safety. Tell me about your background, uh, Brendan. We we see you on in the huddle, but you've got actually quite an extensive sports background. Uh, let us know about that. Yeah, um, um, I started in radio broadcasting in 2002. I did three years in Estevan, uh, broadcast the Estevan Bruin games, and boy, I've never had more fun doing play-by-play <laughs> than my three years in the SJHL. It was a blast. And from there, I went out to Windsor, Ontario. I broadcast Windsor Spitfire games for a year. Then I came back to Regina, and I did some rider beat coverage for a couple of years. And since then, it's really just been freelance here, there, and everywhere. And uh, lots of stuff on uh, the sports cage. And now happy to be doing In the Huddle and some writing for Three Down Nation, too. And I know you've had a new addition to your family. Yes, yes. 17-month-old Claire. She is just the joy of our lives. And... Uh, you know, it's funny, I had a client in my office yesterday uh, who had a new baby um, who was like a month old, and that was a real good reminder of how quickly they grow up. You don't even yeah. notice how much big, how much bigger she's gotten, but uh, that's all just part of the cycle of life. Well, when you've got a child that age, you're sounding quite coherent, actually, because usually you're sleep-deprived. <laughs> well, I was, in, I was in the press box the other night at the Ryder game, and I was dozing off, 
And Murray McCormick came wandering back, and he said, you look like a new dad right now. <laughs> so uh, he, he hit the nail on the head. Murray, Murray knows it because he had a grandchild born right around the time that my daughter was born. But, boy, it sure gives you a different perspective on things. And uh, all of a sudden, wins and losses and uh, point totals and all that doesn't seem so important. But it puts it in perspective, and it's a good reminder of why we love sports, not because it's life and death, because it's fun. These are games. This is the toy department of life, if you treat right. it that way. Oh, I totally agree. What, what upsets me, I mean, nobody's happy with one and four in the last five games for the Rough Riders, including myself, including you. But what bothers me when I'm, you know, doing like a post-game show, I don't mind fair criticism of, of the team or players, uh, you know, subjective. Uh, but when it's almost like a hate-on for a certain individual or a player, like... You know, sometimes you get the feeling that people actually hate Cody Fajardo right now with the struggles he's had on the field. That's when I sort of draw the line. You shouldn't be hating anybody. They're out there trying their hardest, and they're playing football. Sometimes I think that this is the new world order, but then I remember one of the very first games I saw as a youngster sitting in Section 7, Row 1, at the old Taylor Field, and uh, I got to sit right behind the bench, and not everybody wanted to sit in the front row because the view wasn't very good because you got all these big football players standing in your way. Uh, whereas, you know, nine-year-old me just loved it because you'd hear the players yelling at each other, fighting with each other, you know, their conversations, etc. And I remember Kent Austin, uh, near the end of his time here, throwing a pick six against the BC Lions, and he's having, I think it was that great season he had in 92, when he threw for 6,284 yards, and he comes off to the sideline while they're winning, and people are booing him, people are yelling at him, people are swearing at him. So it's a good little reminder that the way we've treated our quarterbacks here, it, this is not something new. This has actually been an ongoing thing for the last 30 years. Right. Maybe uh, longer. You know, even longer because Ron Lancaster uh, was booed in his last uh, game at home. Right. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and when he gets booed, you, you know, it's a tough place. It's a tough uh, place to play quarterback, that's for sure. I always uh, I draw the analogy to the Charles Dickens uh, novel in 1859, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, the most famous line in that book. And that's what it's like for a Rough Rider quarterback, isn't it? And maybe it'll never change. Yeah, and when we saw Cody last year almost break down into tears during a post-game Zoom session about all the stuff he'd been reading on social media, I think a lot of us, me included, I was guilty of this, kind of scoffed at him and almost you know, said, well, gee, you get to be the face of the franchise. You can't put up with a little bit of criticism that you find online. But then I remember back to the whole situation with Kent Austin. Now, Kent Austin was a different animal all in and of himself. He could be prickly at the best Oh, of he'd time. spit in your face but, is what he'd do. Oh, That's sure. That's the difference. Sure. But, right. And, 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 but, you know, it, it just goes to show you that being the star quarterback here um, isn't easy. And we thought that it would be easy because we went so many years without a star quarterback. You remember Darian Durant getting into fights and arguments and swearing with fans online. So maybe he's a little bit guilty of getting hooked. Um, but at the same time, I think it just speaks to the environment of being the star quarterback or the starting quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Right. Now, speaking of Darian Durant, uh, is there sort of a comparison to him 
and Cody right now in that uh, when both of them started to have trouble running, their overall play deteriorated? You know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, we saw that at the very end of Darian's time here. There were so many things going on when Darian started to struggle. It was really hard to keep track of everything. Corey Chamberlain was getting blamed for so many things that were happening <laughs> off the field, but the reality is Corey Chamberlain had an amazing record with Darian Durant as his quarterback and a really bad record without Darian Durant as his quarterback. But you're right, uh, definitely when they were having issues with their offensive line, they needed to start making changes. I think Dan Clark was really the only holdover. Uh, that's when you saw Darian not just struggle, but go right off a cliff. And you don't hope for that to be happening here with Cody. But boy, in that game on Friday night, it's hard not to draw that comparison when you saw how lackluster that offense was moving. And seeing the fans boo Cody, I don't know if we've ever seen that. I felt like that was a first. Well, it was a first. That's what happens when you've passed for 41 yards, uh, you know, up to the half. That's that's going to happen. That's professional sports. But you you mentioned Dan Clark. I remember uh, saying on the the pregame show, uh, here in CKRM Radio uh, prior to the Friday game uh, against the Lions that I, I, I thought that Jason Moss should run the ball more, you know, have more patience with the running game because, you know, they have to run in order to win and Cody has to run in order to win. And they did, I, I thought, uh, make more effort to run the ball. But then I forgot Dan Clark at the beginning of the year, it looked like the Rough Riders could run the ball, not so much pass block. Uh, I thought on Friday they still struggled to a certain degree, uh, you know, run blocking, which they're doing well at the start, but they don't have Dan Clark, and it shows you how valuable the guy is to that offensive line. Yeah, and he, he's such a character guy, you know, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not very good at judging offensive line play because I never played the game at a high level. I like to tra- talk to as many football people and hey i don't consider myself a football person i'm just a jerk with a mic i like talking to <laughs> the uh, personnel people and 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 ex-players as i can and the common feedback i'm getting is that dan park isn't even the number one center in the cfl on paper he's probably the number seven or number eight center but he's such a character guy that he made it all fit he made it all work and, and you can see they just don't have that coordination anymore. And uh, further to your point, um, with Jason Moss, it seems like they're happy running the ball, what, four times in the first half? And then saying, well, it didn't work so well. We went away from it. I mean, um, I, I remember Wes saying on the postgame show a few weeks back, what does it take to get a decent number of carries in this league? Like, have, have offenses changed so much that the old rule of um, – the routine 20 carries is just out the window. It just seems like other than Andrew Harris, nobody gets that anymore. And with the Rough Riders, if they're not going to run the football, they need plays that have the quick release. Problem is, Cody Fajardo's not a quick release kind of quarterback. So he just doesn't fit that scheme, and I think that's why Jason Moss is under the microscope because they're not doing quick release plays. They're not, or sorry, enough quick release plays. They're not doing enough running plays. And who'd have thunk that on a Jeremy O'Day run team, their biggest nemesis would be O-linemen. It's mm-hmm. really bizarre that this is what it's come to. Well, it is. And uh, I think Jason Moss is limited with some of the things he can do 
in the playbook because Cody's uh, got some strengths and weaknesses, and some of his strengths are not uh, throwing the football down the field. Now, uh, tell me what you think of this. Uh, you know, uh, Garrett Marino, at that game against Ottawa, and we, we won't go over all of that when he was suspended a CFL record four games. But it almost seems like since then, this team doesn't look the same. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And we, we'll, we'll talk about that on the show tonight. It just feels like there's been this dark rain cloud hovering over the Rough Riders since that victory, what should have been a celebratory night uh, when they were finishing off a victory over the Ottawa Red Blacks. But it was probably the most awkward post-game conference I've ever sat in on, win or, or for a win or a loss. And since then, you know, they had the two losses against the Argos, a totally beatable football team, talent-wise, pound for pound. The Saskatchewan Roughriders should at least split or sweep the Toronto Argonauts. And the other thing that I was thinking about was the fact that the combined record of the Riders' opponents who they've beaten this year. 11 and 28. Right. They have yet to beat anybody um, with a you know with a winning record no, and uh, the two wins you know so so to me and and this is supposed to be a team built for prime time. This is a team that is hosting the Grey Cup this year. Uh, and you mentioned on the post game show Friday, um, they're not sacrificing next year for this year like maybe we saw a bit of in 2013. But they're still built to win now. And we're just not seeing it. This is not a team that is anywhere near contending in the West. And a lot of folks are still going to be picking the BC Lions to win on Friday night, despite the fact they're trotting out their backup against the Rough Riders' starting quarterback. And to me, that's a bigger sign of the sad state of affairs that the Riders are rolling into more than anything else. And, and there's just something that I feel is maybe wrong internally with this club because um, – all the responses you'll get, if you go down to practice and you interview Duke Williams or you interview this guy or that guy, and they're all going to tell you, hey, Garrett Marino's family, we welcomed him back, we have his back. Well, if they have a problem with Garrett Marino, they're not going to tell you on air. And, and, and so it's a big roster. There are a lot of players. And is it Garrett specifically? I mean, that's when things change. Maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe I'm piling on. And I'm not even saying that they need to get rid of Garrett Marino or that Coach Dickinson handled it improperly. But if we look at the results since that night, this has not been the same football team, not by a long shot. And they're not getting any bang for their buck. I'll just finish off with that. I mean, Duke Williams... Uh, second highest paid receiver in the league. He's at 27th right now in receiving yards uh, in the CFL, number 27. Cody, the second highest paid quarterback in the CFL, he's number seven in, in passing yards. So, uh, you know, I guess, you know, when your your top players aren't performing, you're in trouble, Brendan. Yeah, that, that's right. Your best players need to be your best players and a perfect example of that was Friday night, Cody Fajardo wasn't even their best quarterback. You know, how fitting was that? Mason Fine comes off the bench, has the one really good drive, and then after that, they moved the ball, they just couldn't finish drives, and they left a lot of points on the field where they could have kicked field goals. But to me, that was a perfect illustration of the kind of year that the Rough Riders have had and a perfect illustration of your point that the best players need to be their best players, and we haven't seen enough of that uh, with the 2022 Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, good way to end it. Brendan McGuire, thank you for joining us uh, today on the Sports Cage. Thanks for having me. Anytime. 
Back inside the sports cage, it's 4.53. It's time for your sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. They're hiring right now. Starting salary for service technicians is $75,000 plus a nice signing bonus. You can give them a call at 781-2090. So there's a new starting quarterback in Calgary. Jake Mayer will get the start for the Stampeders on Thursday in Winnipeg. Bo Levi Mitchell goes to the bench. Stamps and Bombers kick off Week 12 Thursday at 6.30 p.m. And uh, Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets have reached an agreement for him to stay in Brooklyn, the team announced. So finally, the Durant watch comes to an end. And hey, let's play some Sastel Pick the Score. I got a pair of tickets to the Labor Day Classic. So if you want to go to the Labor Day Classic, all you got to do is pick up the phone right now and call 306-936-6262 or toll-free 1-866-767-0620. I'll take caller number four today in honor of Kyron Moore's new number. See that yesterday, Don? Kyron Moore wearing a brand new number. Right, and I guess Kyron Moore was outstanding in practice today. Uh, James Hamilton sent me a text who was watching the practice, and he said Kyron Moore was all over the field. He was burning everybody, burning DBs, mocking DBs. He was doing it all. And Emelis apparently looked pretty good as well, so He's going to be playing, so we'll see Samuel Emelis in Vancouver. Too bad Justin McInnes is injured. Okay, joining me right now is Brian uh, Raymond out at the beautiful uh, Flowing Springs Golf Course. Brian, how's the golf course out there today? It is absolutely gorgeous right now. We've got just a little bit of a breeze. It's nice and warm and sunny. Uh, looking forward to a great evening of golf. Very affordable out of the Flowing Springs, Brian. Well, absolutely. Every day after 6 o'clock, you can come out and walk on the golf course for $17. That's all. Just $17. And uh, right now that starts at 6 o'clock. And uh, next Monday, we'll be starting at 5.30. So uh, anybody who's looking for an evening of golf, that's a very inexpensive way to do it. We have other specials as well. Every every day after 3, it's uh, $32. That's our early twilight. And Mondays and Wednesdays, seniors and ladies, that's seniors over 60, $29 $29 to come out and play the golf course. So that's a heck of a deal. And we also have a, if, if you're not a lady and you're not a senior, it's still very reasonable at $39. You bet. A very picturesque out there. When I go golfing, I always enjoy the scenery, Brian. Well, it, it's not your typical prairie golf course in that, uh, the you know, we're in a valley, so you do have some elevation changes and uh, certainly a lot of foliage. Now, Brian, as a former uh, scout with the Columbus Blue Jackets, a tough goaltender in your playing days, uh, first GM of the Moose Jaw Warriors. Are you as disgusted uh, by Hockey Canada as I am? You know what? It's very disappointing in the way that they handle that situation. And unfortunately, it colors um, a lot of the good work that they've done over the years. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of kids that have gone through the Hockey Canada system. Um, there has to be something done about the way they handle these issues. And uh, I don't know really what the answer is, uh, but it's, uh, it is very sad when you see people, you know, much like the people at the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, who makes these decisions? That's the question that I have to ask. Right, and it's uh, uh, now we're hearing about Board of Governors, the Board of Governors getting all these lavish gifts. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't heard that. Yeah, that's new. Uh, you know, the Board of Governors is supposed to, you know, manage or police or watch over executive management in any business. Uh, but once you take, you know, a big screen TV in the and throw it in your basement, Brian, as a 
<laughs> Hockey Canada Board of Governor, then I guess you're owned, are you not? Yeah, exactly. And you're you're starting to look at, you know, a lot like uh, what used to happen in soccer. Remember years ago how it was, uh, it was certainly a lot of questions about how international soccer was run. So, yeah, that is very sad. And uh, obviously they're going to have to be some changes, and I'm sure they will come. Right, and did you enjoy watching uh, Connor Bernard play at the World Juniors? I enjoyed the the, the World Juniors. It was uh, it was an entertaining tournament. Uh, the final day was uh, was a little bit different. With you know, start with a two two goal lead and then and five power plays in a row, and uh, you know, Finland to give them the credit, they came back and tied it up. It was uh, and almost won it. Right, it was interesting. Well, my one son Evan is coming to town next week. First thing he says when he arrives is, "Let's go." golfing at the Flowing Springs, so I'll probably see you sometime next week, Brian. Well, I look forward to it, Don, as always. You bet. Have a good evening, Brian. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. And welcome back to Sports Cage. Don Hewitt with my sidekick and really the boss of the show, Sean Kleisinger. And, you know, uh, Ballsy, of course, with a day off, uh, Zinger, uh, he's pretty excited. Of course, we all know that his son, Ethan, plays football at the University of North Dakota, and on September 3rd, Mm. he's going to be playing in Lincoln, Nebraska against the Cornhuskers. That's big time. That's big time. We're talking like 80,000, 85,000 peeps, peeps as in people, all in <laughs> one stadium to watch a football game. So I can't wait for it. I'm going to be kicking back, relaxing. That's the day before uh, the Labor Day game here, Don. So that's a nice Saturday afternoon where, uh, hey, we should all get together and watch that one. That is that is big time. It's not every day, you know, your kid gets to play in front of 85,000 people. So that's going to be a right. really exciting day. Oh, one of the all-time uh, classic college football teams, mm-hmm. the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And, of course, Ballsy, he can't go see uh, Ethan play because he's doing the play-by-play uh, of the Rough Rider football game the next day. By the way, I don't know if we remembered the Flowing Springs phone number to call Brian Raymond and book around it is 306-543-5050 at the Flowing Springs. So, uh, Zinger, you got any texts, anything happening? Yes, sir. On the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line, Saskatchewan's number one GM dealership. You can text me up 306 306- Nine three six six two six two. We got a lot of text flooding in here. Love Let it. Go. Uh, Rod and Regina says, "Here are some figures for you guys who like uh, picking on the offensive line." And our five wins, we averaged twenty five point six carries a game and gave up two point eight sacks. In our five losses, we averaged fourteen point two carries a game and gave up four point six sacks a game. Rod goes on to say, "If you don't give." the old line a chance to hit somebody in the run game that makes things harder so uh he's bang on that's a good uh, i think that's a great text by rod yeah thank you for texting Rod. very very good uh barry texting in i think our offensive problem is 75 percent offensive line and 25 percent quarterback cody doesn't have the time to go through his reads uh plant his feet and throw the ball and all that so uh I do agree with Barry there, but at the same time, when even when he does have some time to throw the ball, Don, he's still overthrowing receivers. I'm thinking of that one. I think it was in the first half this past Friday. It was just a simple throw in the flats, airmailed it over his head. Like Those should be automatic throws. You know what? I was going to ask you a question. So Barry's at 75% O-line, mm-hmm. 25% quarterbacks. Uh, Van Stone, Rob Van Stone was 80% 
O-line, 20% quarterbacks. I'm at 60% O-line, 40% quarterbacks. Where are you, Zinger? I think, I think, um, I think I'm like right down the middle, like fi- like fifty fifty probably. And we're gonna listen to you because you played uh, quarterback in high school. Oh yeah, I'm a so you know savvy quarterback. About. Yep, I'm going to the Hall of Fame. Listen <laughs> to me, everyone. <laughs> Keep going with your texts. They're good so far. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we got another one here from Trevor. Trevor says, "Well, after listening to Rob." I'm selling my Grey Cup tickets. So Trevor's not feeling good after hearing uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's not very optimistic, if you will. Eli's on the text line. Got uh, time for one more here. Eli says, I think Fajardo would be better off with a coach like the guy Ottawa let go. Moss is not the right coach for Cody, in my humble opinion. That's what I think anyway. So thanks for the text. Keep them coming on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 306-936-6262. And, of course, if you haven't heard, uh, Rough Rider tailback Jamal Morrow out six to eight weeks after he had surgery on a broken hand, I believe, two days ago, or maybe just yesterday on Monday. Uh, Big blow for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, Of course, Frankie Hickson uh, is from Liberty, where Kent Austin coaches right now, uh, will be uh, the starting tailback Friday night in BC against the Lions and uh, Jason Moss at practice talked about Frankie Hickson. Um, well, he's a very ex- explosive back, uh, first and foremost. That's one of the things you notice about him. Anytime he touches the ball, he's dynamic with it. Um, so that's what we look forward to ha- seeing on game day with him. Uh, does it change some of the play calling, uh, his style between him and Moro? Not really. I mean, they've been a great one-two punch because they're slightly different. Um, like, kind of like I reiterated, I mean, uh, if, if I would say Hickson's just a tiny bit more dynamic when he touches it to go the distance, sorry. Um, but they're both, they both run the ball very similarly. Um, so, I mean, what you see is what you're going to get. Our offense ain't going to change much with the tailback back there. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is, you know, all the quarterbacks in the room kind of help each other. And um, having been a quarterback and, and, and been in his shoes, you know, you know what it's like when it's going well, and you know what it's like when it's not going well. So it's just the relationship we built over two years. Just keep it strong. You, you know, you keep not to say talking them off the cliff or anything. You're just going through scenarios, going through things, trying to think about the process rather than the outcomes of everything that we're we're going through right now and what he's going through. So, um, you know, he's won a lot of games as a starter. He's a great quarterback. Everybody goes through this stuff. Uh, if you play long enough, you're going to get benched. So you just got to be mindful of that and just keep working and uh, stay positive. And that's one of the things we just start focusing on is just everyday grinding and keep focusing on the things that we can control. Well, yeah, I mean, I think just like anything, it's uh, continuity on the offense with the guys he's playing with, uh, you know, running some things he's more comfortable with uh, in certain situations um, and him just getting a good feel for it, having the game start out better um, and then get into some kind of uh, rhythm. You know, because I'd say that's one of the things that we haven't been in offensively most of the year is a good rhythm. And um, I think if he's, whether he starts out well or not, I know this about Cody, he finishes usually pretty strong. And uh, I think that's, um, again, not something you can control. You just keep working on each play uh, one at a time. Um, But I just believe more than anything with him and with all of us, just keep worrying about what we're doing every day. Stay where your feet are. Work the process and stop worrying so much about the outcomes of everything that's happening. Is it your call to pull him? No, I mean, that's never, I don't think it's ever going to be the offense coordinator's call. It's going to be the head coach's call. And whatever the head coach decides, we, we stick with. 
In terms of the rhythm, how do you get to that in terms of the offense? How do you achieve that rhythm? Um, that's a good question. I mean, um, it, it starts, I think, a little bit with continuity, and that's one thing we haven't been afforded this year on offense is playing with the same guys week in and week out. We seem to be you know, missing key guys or missing guys each and every week, and whether they get hurt in games or hurt during the week or um, they're not quite ready, you know, we just that's on offensive football. Usually it's 12 guys gelling. And at, after 10 or 11 games, you'd expect some kind of gel. And I just don't feel like we've had a lot of that. So, you know, you go back to the drawing board, see what the lineup that we're working with currently, what they're really good at and try to focus on what the defensive weaknesses are and try to uh, combat that. And, you know, we obviously haven't done a, a good enough job of that collectively. But uh, it's a hard thing when guys keep going in and out of the lineup. We just got to overcome it. And so we're, we're working our butts off. And that's why, you know, that's what we can focus on, what we can control. And it ultimately, it will get corrected by us just uh, coming together, uh, stringing a few good practices together. Last week, we had a great week of practice. We didn't play as well as we'd hoped for. But if we continue to do that on offense, we'll start seeing some better results. Can you draw up on your, your past and help Cody out a bit in that there was a time when Ricky Ray would struggle and would come Jason Moss, even one of the greatest ever to play the game. There were times when... Yeah, it's one of the first. It wasn't not necessarily him, me talking to him about, hey, Ricky got benched in favor of me. It was more, hey, if you play this game long enough, I don't care how good you are. You're going to run through some rough patches as a starter. And, you know, the quarterbacks get way too much credit, way too much blame. And they um, every good one has at some point had a rough patch where they've been benched. I mean, just about everyone. And so I, I, you know, obviously, yes, I've been in that situation a few times, whether I was a starter or the backup. And Cody is, has gone through it now. Um, but ultimately, like I said, I mean, it's something you just got to put in the past, continue to work on you, on us getting better together collectively and uh, stop worrying so much about what just happened. It happened. It's over. We just got to move on, play our best football going forward as a, as a unit, as an offense, and that will help everybody. When an offense is struggling and you're the offensive coordinator, are there very late nights, uh, lack of sleep? How do you process this? Well, I mean, I, coaches' lives are very, you know, without sleep. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Most coaches don't sleep a whole lot during the season anyways. And when you are struggling offensively, yes, you're trying to, to burn the midnight oil to figure it out. And uh, all of us on offense, all of our, our coaches included, are, I, I know are doing that, you know, so it's not a easy fix. If it was, it would be fixed, you know, and it's just something we're continuing to focus, continue to work, um, continue, continue to try to get better. Um, it's not from a lack of work or effort. It's just right now, we just gotta uh, change some things up, um, maybe work a little bit smarter, I guess, and, uh, and, and more than anything, you just got to keep working. You got to keep grinding and you got to stay positive with it. You know, when, when no one else is, that's our jobs. And keep the energy going, keep the guys confident and continue to work. And I believe fully in working hard and that usually will overcome a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's one of the strengths of their football team. Obviously, I think their offense is playing at a super high level um, and their defense is matching them. Um, um, they're a very good defense. They fly around, they've got great energy. I don't know how much more they can fly around and how much better, ener more energy they can bring you. But um, obviously, everybody's game generally elevates when, uh, when you're a really good football team and a, and a guy like Nathan goes down. I'm sure they've talked about it, um, but Ultimately, it's a team game. It's not ever one person doing it all. So uh, we'll be ready for their best. Um, and we've, we've got to play ours to beat them. We know that. And that's Rough Rider offensive coordinator Jason Moss. And you know, he's, 
he's much maligned with the way the offense is going, but when you listen to him talk about football, it really sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He really does. Anyway, Sports Cage is brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreational groups. Coming up next, uh, the crack color man for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I guess we can almost start calling him longtime color man. He's been doing it for a while. Luke Mullender joins us. We'll be back with Sports Cage in just a moment. Back inside the Sports Cage, it's 5 at 19 on this Fine Tuesday for Saskatchewan Lotteries. Back on the text line, KD, he has a nice little note here. He says, just a little chicken or egg thought to consider. More often than not, the reason there is more rush attempts and wins is because you run the ball to run the clock out. The reason less rushes and losses is because you're throwing the ball to catch up. That using more rushes equals more chance of winning is not entirely true. Just an FYI, KD and Abernathy. And that is very true, Mr. Uh, KD. Another one from Burt Wilson. Burt Wilson says 80% O-line Don, 10% quarterback, 10% Moss. That equals 100. So uh, that's Burt Wilson's uh, opinion on uh, the Riders' struggles right now. Matthew from Moose Jaw is on the text line as well. He says, Don, why is the O-line so bad, man? I'm not throwing this specifically on just the O-line. I think Cody has his struggles too, but I'm you know, I'm just asking about the O-line because I can't see if Cody is playing bad or not. Is he playing bad or is it O-line play done? And that's why we got into those percentages because that's the big question. The offense is struggling. The offensive line and the quarterback are the, the two main elements of an offense. And who better to ask than a veteran rider color man Luke Mullender, thanks for joining Sports Cage, Luke. Don, how's it going, man? Hope you're having a good show, brother. Ah, it's another day, another dollar, but that's before taxes, Luke. You know, yeah, fair enough. you've got an interesting background. I just wanted to talk before we go into football. You were born in Auckland, New Zealand. Yes, sir. Now, how did you go from Auckland, New Zealand uh, to Michigan State playing football? Well, my dad, man, my dad moved us to Canada when I was uh, eight or nine, and then um, I was raised in Mississauga, Ontario, uh, in the greater Toronto area. And uh, from there, I, I started playing football my uh, my last year of high school. And um, man, I, I was only playing football to stay out of trouble and, and <laughs> make sure I was eligible for the basketball season that was going to fall after football. And uh, it turned out being better at football than I was at basketball, so it all worked out. Wow, so you didn't start playing football till your last year of high school? No, man, I was a late bloomer. Yeah, like I said, man, it was just sort of uh, one of those deals where, you know, I was, uh, yeah, I, I was looking for things to do. So football was just uh, was just one of those things to do. And uh, man, I was real. I was really, I was a basketball player. So everything was just sort of, you know, pre-basketball for me, right? Like, man, just make it to the season. So. That was one of the ways I made it to the basketball team. That's interesting. So you were picked 31st overall in 2004 by the Rough Riders. You played here eight years. So was the, the length of time you played, you know, eight full years, it was a long time to play for the Rough Riders, and then you ended up staying in Regina? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, you exactly. met uh, your wife, et cetera? Yep, yep. I started a family. Uh, my wife is from here. Um and uh, when I retired, this was this is where all the opportunity was in mm-hmm. terms of just sort of, uh, of of job prospects that would pay me what I was making when I played football. 
um, which is which is actually why I started getting into insurance and uh, and investment products when I first got out of football. Um, even though I hated it, I knew if I was good at selling it, I, I would make a lot of money. So uh, my ethos was all wrong back then, man. I, you know, I was wondering why I was just completely miserable, and uh, and I hadn't had the uh, I didn't have the passion for it that uh, that I had for football that I didn't realize I think I had for football, right? My wife told me one day, you got to remember, Luke, you know, you, you've been working out and, and doing something to do with football literally every day of your life. Mm, right. You know, and uh, so, yeah, luckily I found something that I was passionate outside of uh, outside of my football career. So this has filled the gap for you regarding football, uh, doing color and being involved with Rough Rider broadcasting. Yeah, this is pretty cool, man. My wife hates sports, man, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it's good to – it's good to be able to just sort of talk football. I think that it, you know, it probably saved me from driving her crazy after I, uh, <laughs> after I retired. So, um, you know, it kept us, it kept us, um, it kept us married. <laughs> right. I, I know. Well, uh, you're doing a, you, you've done a great job uh, and still do on the rider, uh, radio broadcasts as the team color man. Now, I don't know if you're, you're a busy man. I don't know if you heard earlier in the show, but we were talking about, you know, the offensive line and Cody Fajardo, Rob Vanstone was on at the start of the show, and I asked yeah. him, okay, what, what are the percentages here for the, the problems of the rider offense, uh, being that the quarterback and offensive line are the two main components of, a, of an offense? Uh, Vanstone felt 80% uh, problem with the offensive line, 20% for the quarterback. Oh. Uh, I thought it was 60-40 O-line to quarterback. Barry texted in. He said 75-25. Zinger thinks it's 50-50. Where do you see it? Jeez. Wow, that was the question. Uh, well, I'll put it to you like this. I think that, I think that, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, you talk about them all the time because you literally have, like, the two of best-case scenarios. You've got an incredible football player and you've got an incredible coach. You know, I look at the what's happening with the riders is like the the little bit of an opposite effect here. I think that, I think that you know, it's just the football is you have to work within, you know, the other groups that are going to make you succeed. Um, I actually would probably only put about ten percent of this on Jason Moss. I'm not going to start of like, you know, there's no way that Jason Moss just stopped like with the success he had with other quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's no way Jason Moss just stopped being able to get a quarterback successful just literally look at the quarterbacks that he's coached look at their results they speak for himself um uh so i would probably put a 10 percent on jason moss i would probably put 40 percent on cody and then 50 percent on the offensive line but, but they've got to work they've got to work cohesively man you know um um, you know, I, I hear the argument, and I, I think I, I caught it that just at the tail end while you guys came back from the break. You know, everybody, I, I see everybody complaining about, you know, oh, we're not running the football, we're not running the football. Well, first of all, first of all, I thought that running the football was the reason why we kicked McAdoo up out of here, right? So, Rider Nation, you can't have it both ways. So, um, <laughs> the problem with running the football is, is, is you need to be able to control the tempo. But more importantly, like, you know, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, there's no running the football when BC's leading. You know what I mean? Um, and you have to be able to sustain um, some sort of drives. And, and, you know, like, even if you do run the ball successfully, you're still going to have to go to the air. You know what I mean? And there's still going to be situations where you go to the air. Very rarely are we going to see a team, except for last year when Bill Belichick did it with his rookie quarterback, um, run the ball every <laughs> yeah. single down, except right. for one, and still win it. Right in Buffalo, so it's all got to work together. The run game 
fits perfectly when you're able to execute it, but it allows you to control the tempo of the game. It's not going to win you the game. There's going to have to be more aspects that go along with it, but it really helps control that tempo. It really helps you to establish the line of scrimmage. And the more you're successful running the football, you know, the easier it's going to be in the fourth quarter. It's just I think with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, their, their struggles have just – they've never been a team that's been on schedule yet. You know, you always hear college coaches and NFL coaches say, we did a great job of staying on schedule. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have never been able to get on schedule at any point in any of their losses. Now, so – Yesterday, the the head coach, Craig Dickinson, said he was going to give Cody Vajardo a little more leash, uh, which I found interesting. His brother just made a decision and is benching Bo for a second game with Jake Maris starting against Winnipeg. Now, what happens, do you think, Luke? You're going to be out in Vancouver uh, calling the game with Ballsy. Yeah. What happens if, if Cody completely struggles and the offense is terrible at halftime? What's going to happen then? Uh, well, I mean, is it going to be staying in, or do you, what's what's going to happen? It depends what they're struggling for, right? Like, see, here's the thing. I mean, Cody can go out there and play a perfect ball. He can make all the right throws, and his receivers can drop nine out of the ten balls he throws to him, right? Um, you know, like, Cody could go out there. The team, BC Lions could stop the run every single time Frankie hits and touches the ball, be cast into a second and 12 situation. That's the thing. You're not going to be able to succeed there. Now, if Cody goes out there, um, he's exhibiting um, uh, he's, he's exhibiting a failure to, to you know go through his reads. If he's exhibiting if he's if he's seeing ghosts, meaning he, he you know he's he's feeling the wrong type of pressure. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can see from Cody's perspective at times where it's like, man, dude, if if you hadn't taken off or if you had just stepped up or stepped to the left a couple steps, you still would have been able to make the throw. But you know, again, you still have to be able. One of the biggest comparisons I wish that people I hope people saw yes um, last week. Um, was Rourke and Cody and the use of, of, of the ability of Nathan Rourke to use his eyes. There was a couple um, a couple uh, reps over there where Rourke would look to his left, like literally stare at his left. He had no intention of going to his left. Yep. He knew, though, if he stared to his left, the linebackers were going to slide. And, it, and a couple times they slid, they did, he would immediately snap back to the right, put it on a receiver, open to his right. You know, um, uh, the St. Louis, I mean, sorry, the L.A. Rams, when they won the Super Bowl, their quarterback did the same thing, Matt Stafford, right? He was setting guys up with his eyes. I really feel like, you know, Cody and Vernon Adams, they really struggle with, um, and, and I'm grouping them in the same because I think the same thing for Vernon Adams. You know, I just really, they really struggle going through their progressions for some reason, right? And for Cody, sometimes that's, that's uh, that's because of that pocket collapsing, and sometimes it's 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 him thinking the pocket collapsing, pocket's collapsing when it's really not. Pockets can get off kilter, but that's the time where a quarterback has to understand: hey, I don't need to run; I just need to adjust my launch point and still make the throw. Fabulous insights, Luke, as usual from yourself. Have a, a good broadcast on Friday from Vancouver. Man, let's go, man! Have a great pre and post game show. I'll see you guys later. You bet, Luke. Thank you very much. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. And welcome to press coverage with a 1989 Grey Cup champion uh, player Glenn Suter. Brought to you by Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. Hi, Glenn. How are you doing today? I'm well done. How are you? Well, I haven't talked to you for a while. I mean, Ballsy bounces me around. I just haven't bounced your way lately uh but speaking of bouncing a lot of bouncing with quarterbacks uh, going on right now in the cfl it's gonna be a different looking week you've got uh 
O'Connor starting in BC. You've got Arbuckle starting in Ottawa. You've got Jake Mayer now starting in Winnipeg. What a game. What an interesting game that's going to be. Are you doing that game, the, the that game with Calgary-Winnipeg? No, no. I My games this week are the Ryder game in BC and the Edmonton game the next day. So those are my two. But, yeah, I'll be very intrigued to see how Jake plays. And, yeah, that's an interesting one. It really is that, that Bo Levi Mitchell, um, you know, essentially has lost the starting job. I mean, you know, this is they're, – they're both healthy and both available and um, – Dave Dickinson has decided to go with Jake Mayer. And, you know, I, I think you could make the argument over the last month of watching the Calgary Stampeders, who, by the way, are a 6-3 and three team. I mean, how many teams in the league yeah. would take would take that record, right? And they're, and they're making this decision at 6-3. and three. So, again, it's the win-loss and the outcry aren't why you make decisions as a head coach. Sometimes if you are watching your players closely, and certainly Dave Dickinson understands the quarterback position, then, you know, if you're not getting the production you need from that, you need to make a change. And I just, you know, it starts to bring up, Don, some, some, just some great rabbit holes that we could go down here. I mean, what if Jake Mayer beats Winnipeg goes and starts the next three three weeks in a row, say, and now the trade led, uh, deadline is approaching and Bo Levi Mitchell is a backup. Crazy. Will Bo Levi yeah. Mitchell be a rough rider? I mean, that's a, another rabbit hole with what's going on right well, now with Cody Vajardo. Well, I, I just, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that, you know, that, you know, I think rider fans would just hope that Cody will will find that confidence he needs and, and um, you know, start playing well, even though, his, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a lot of the guys around him that have to play better as well. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's the number one hope and, and goal. But, but yeah, I just, I just find it interesting. I mean, you know, I think if Jake Mayer is successful in Calgary and in the next three weeks and remains the starting quarterback wire to wire and bully by Mitchell is standing on the sideline as with the starter's salary with the trade line coming up in what early to mid October, I believe. And teams like, you know, depending on where Saskatchewan is, but BC, if Michael O'Connor struggles, I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. he will. I think he'll be fine. And I think that team will be pretty, you know, fine, but He's not Nathan Rourke. No one is. And maybe they're interested. Now, if Calgary doesn't even want to talk about this, that's possible too. But maybe they say, I don't want to be in the division. So what if you're uh, a Hamilton Tiger Cat team that is fighting for a playoff spot to fight off the crossover and Dane Evans still is struggling? Do, do you pull the trigger on a Bo Levi Mitchell offer if he's still a backup? I don't know. Let's let's go down the rabbit hole. That's what we do. <laughs> right. That's yeah. And that's what you're good at. I mean, um, you know, what's wrong with Nick Arbuckle? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with Nick Arbuckle. He no longer has Dave Dickinson as his coach because he was great in Calgary, and and just pretty average. You could argue everywhere else. So if anybody knows quarterbacks, there's nobody that knows quarterbacks in the league better than Dave Dickinson. He is the quarterback whisperer for the CFL. And, but at the start of the year, if, if, when you were looking at all these teams and looking at their training camps, would you have ever believed that halfway through the campaign, a Bo Levi Mitchell will 
spend his second game benched? No, I wouldn't have. And, um, you know, I, I think that's where we always sort of look at the legacy compared to right now and the last, you know, three or four or five games. I mean, as you know, it's a very what have you done for me lately mm-hmm. business. And in, in a tight race in the West, you know, you just don't have the luxury and time to say, well, let you know, because of his legacy, we're going to allow him three games to work out of the funk he's in. You know, I don't think he, Dave Dickinson's willing to do that. And and again, this is a six and three team. I mean, this is a team that should feel pretty good about their record, all you know, all in and 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 have gone through some injuries of their own on the defensive side of the ball and and losing their starting center as well. So, you know, I I um yeah, I just think I just think it's it's interesting as we depending on what happens with Jake Mayer over the next couple of of games as the starter, let's say, um, you know, he performs really really well and then you start wondering how much is the legacy going to keep will the legacy keep Bo in Calgary or does John Huffnagel and Dave Dickinson say, "You know what? We've got a good starter in Jake Mayer, we and he's younger, we've got a good backup you know, in the system or two or three of them in the system. And we can maybe get a starting linebacker and a second round draft pick for both right. Mitchell in a trade before the deadline. Well, I mean, there's nobody better than John Huffnagel in finding good backup quarterbacks. He's the best recruiter in the CFL. I'm sure you'll agree when it comes to quarterback. Now, Speaking of, you can't really fiddle around here and you don't have a lot of time. How about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? I mean, they're looking at a crossover right now. It's it's becoming quite, you know, obvious that this is their only route to try to get back to Saskatchewan uh, for the Great Cup. So they've got to get going because if they end up tied with wins, as you know, Glenn, uh, with an Eastern team, yeah, the, the exactly. tie goes to the Eastern team. But there's no, it doesn't look like there's any way that they're going to get in the top three uh, in the West at this moment. So you got Cody Fajardo, who was benched uh, with two minutes to go in the in the first half last Friday against BC. He's coming back now as the starter uh, in Vancouver. Uh, the, the coach said yesterday that he's going to give Fajardo a bit more leash. Uh, mm-hmm. But what, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think should happen if if the first half comes and goes on Friday night? You'll be right there calling the action. And, and, you know, Cody Fajardo's not playing well. Well, you know, I think, I think he, do, he will, Craig Dickinson will do what he did last weekend. And he, and he, will, he will see if Mason Fine can give him a spark and, uh, you know, maybe put together one or two great drives. And that doesn't mean you can't go back to Fajardo later, depending on what time it is in the game. But, you know, it has to be that Fajardo is not playing well, not that the offense is not playing well. Right, and that's what Luke said, yeah. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a difference there because, you know, I think you got to be very careful to not put all of it on Fajardo and say, well, we haven't scored in two quarters and it's his fault. Well, is it his fault? I mean, there was one call in the game, Don, where I, you know, I thought when I was watching it live that he had time to throw in his initial read or two. And I said, as we started to roll the replay, I, I started my sentence by saying, you know, I think Cody had time to, well, wait a minute. Yeah. No, he didn't yeah. either. 
You know, like he, <laughs> yeah. he couldn't even put his plant foot in the ground before he had to bail because there was a guy who ran right by one of the tackles. You know, so like and and without even being blocked, like just straight him. So, you know, I, I think if that's happening, you know, you, you may want to make the change just to protect Cody physically, but um, I don't, you know, I, I don't think you got to put it all on him. And I, I think this is the right idea. Like, you know, the difference between the what's happening in Calgary with Bo and Jake Mayer and with Cody Fajardo and Mason Fine is, is different. They're different scenarios because there's a bigger leap to get to Mason Fine than there is to Jake Mayer because Jake has already proven that he can win games for, for Calgary. He, he has the confidence of Dave Dickinson, you know, the play calling and, and all that coordination is there and they're in sync together. So that's a very different scenario to go with your backup as a starter this week than it would be for Craig Dickinson to do that. I just think it's a bigger jump and that's not a shot at Mason fine. I think he's a great young talent, but he is so young. I mean, we saw it when he went in. He had a great first drive. Then he started feeling the pressure like Cody did when he was in the game in the first half. And then he threw a pick. So so therein lies the roller coaster of a backup quarterback and a young guy that's trying to learn, find his way. Well, you make a great point. Uh, that's, that's very sound thinking for sure. Uh, but right now, if you look at the CFL, I mean, nobody in Canada knows all nine CFL teams as, as well as you do. Uh, would it be fair to say the three weakest teams right now are Saskatchewan, Ottawa, and Edmonton? Well, obviously, Ottawa and Edmonton are, you know, at the bottom of the pack here. And and I, I don't, you know, I, I because of the play of the Saskatchewan defense and the fact that they can keep them in games while they find their way offensively and, you know, maybe steal a few that they shouldn't win, like a, a game on Labor Day, for instance. Um, you know, and, and again, a game in BC where with Nathan Rourke, they would have been huge underdogs. Without Nathan Rourke, I'm not sure where the the line will be, but it's, it's certainly, uh, with the uncertainty of Michael O'Connor, I think it's certainly up in the air as to that could be a pick em game basically, mm-hmm. because I think I think the league has tremendous, and I certainly do, tremendous respect for the Saskatchewan defense. You know, again, the concerns for Saskatchewan across this country, when people talk about the Riders, they talk about a couple things. Their offense needs to get out of this funk. And that not that's not just Cody, and it's not just the O-line. It also has to do with play calling with Jason Moss and, and balance in the offense and things like that. But it's also discipline. And, you know, when I know that it's not a big thing and he's a special teams player, but there was another incident, you know, after this last game. And mm-hmm. Coach Coach Dickinson had to deal with that. I mean, I, again, I heard you guys earlier, and I thought it was a very interesting discussion on, on after Garrett Marino, and I'm not putting blame on him specifically, but after that play against Ottawa, the team has been different. And, you know, I think it's, it's a legit point because, you know, I've been in rooms where quietly the room has been divided because of um, players that are allowed to continue to do their own thing under their own agenda and not put the team first. 
Now, again, I think Garrett Marino has learned his lesson. You know, I, I wasn't, it wasn't uh, the right thing to do when he, when he drills a guy after the whistle was blown. Um, but Garrett Marino, uh, I thought, played a pretty clean game. I mean, it, you know, and, I, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that on that play early in the game last weekend, he didn't hear the whistle. And I, I'll, I'll, even though every, all eyes are on him, and he should have known that, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't hear it and he just went through his pass rush. But I thought for after that he was he played just a hard nose, solid football game. So let's just say he's learned his lessons and he's apologized to the team, so that's over. But if other things are still coming up, that's got to be a concern because every time that happens on or off the field, it, it's an indication that in that room – there are guys that put their own personal agendas ahead of the goal of the team. And that's, I mean, I can't, it's, it's really quite simple. And if those guys aren't rooted out of that, either by being cut or brought under, you know, brought back in place and, and toe the line, then the locker room will have a problem and the team will look different. So, I mean, again, it's a rabbit hole. And we don't know for sure because we're not in that room. But that's what people talk about when they talk about the riders and, and what they have to fix if they want to take a serious run at the playoffs. And they still can do that. It's not gloom and doom. I heard a little gloom and doom, Don, from you guys early on in the show. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not completely gloom and doom. This is a 500 team. Just got to get in the playoffs. Make sure you get that and be playing really good football at that time. Well, we remember the gloom and doom of the 89 Rough Riders at the end of October in 1989. And what, what did you guys do? Well, you won the Cup. Let's continue this conversation in just a moment. Uh, uh, Glenn, we'll be right back. 549 with the sports ticker. Blue Jays start up a series in Boston tonight, or they were supposed to anyways. They're in a bit of a weather delay right now at Fenway Park. Fenway Park. I said it like a Boston person. Boston accent. I never even tried to, Don. Well, uh, Toronto Courier. Boston Zinger? <laughs> What's that, Don? No, it sounds like you're a Bostonian all the way. Oh, my God. Fenway Park. Uh, Toronto currently in the <laughs> second wild card spot in the American League. If the season ended right now, Don, the Jays would uh, play the Rays in the best hmm. of three wild card round. Interesting. Well,. Who knows what's going to happen with the Blue Jays? Right now, I care about the CFL. I don't watch the Blue Jays. I watch Glenn Souter and TSN, not the Blue Jays. And I'll make that very clear. Let's carry on, Glenn. Now, I remember at the beginning yeah. of the of the season, you were telling me, you know, this this Nathan Rourke, uh, like he's the real deal. He's he's pretty good. I go, oh, really? You know, I'm a little puzzled. Okay, well, if you say so. Well, you were sure right about that, and it's, you know, everybody in Saskatchewan, I can tell you, is very sad about that injury, and everybody in Canada who's a CFL fan is sad about that injury, and I know you know that because everybody just loved and marveled to watch him play, including Friday when he was beating Saskatchewan. I still enjoyed watching that man play, uh, but now you've got a... a uh, Michael O'Connor coming at a quarterback for BC. Now you mentioned earlier in this interview, you thought you know he 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 wasn't too bad. He he put on a decent show. So maybe expand on what you know and what you see with Michael O'Connor. Yeah, like he's a you know he's a sort of a big, big tall quarterback, thick, uh, you know heavy arm. He can he can make all the throws. He's a 
He can run. He, I mean, he, you shouldn't be fooled that he is going to be, you know, a statue back there. But, uh, he, I, you know, I think he's a sort of a prototypical pocket passer. Uh, I've talked to a couple of his coaches that he worked with at UBC and said that he was one of those kids that, that worked super hard at the, you know, the film study. And, of course, all quarterbacks do. But, you know, when, you, when they emphasize it, with some of these guys like we have with Nathan Rourke and all his work ethic and work habits, you know, he takes it to another level. And then when he made mistakes at the college level, he wouldn't make the same mistake twice that he is, uh, he, he really spends a lot of time on the fundamentals of the game. So I, I think you're going to see, um, you know, slightly different play calling probably just to get him in a, co- a comfort zone. They haven't said that or, and they probably wouldn't, but, um, yeah, I, I, I hope, you know, here's the tough thing for Michael O'Connor. He's automatically going to be uh, compared to Nathan Rourke. And that, you know, he's oh. the next guy up, and, and they're going to say, well, can you do what the other guy did? And I, I'm telling you that Bo hasn't been able to do what the other guy did. Neither is Zach Kolaros, neither is Cody Pajardo, neither is Dane Evans, or before he got hurt, Jeremiah Masoli, or any of the veteran quarterbacks in the league weren't Nathan Rourke. That's I mean, right. You know, so so I think it'll be super unfair where the expectation level is now through the roof at the quarterback position at BC for them to go, well, Michael O'Connor, we want to see that same level. You're not going to see that. The team will be different without Nathan Rourke at the helm. But they still got a great defense. They still have playmakers. And now it's up to, you know, Jordan Maximic, the offensive coordinator, to – Make sure O'Connor is comfortable, you know, in the first quarter for sure. But he's got some playing time under his belt back in Calgary too. So, well, Jordan Rasemic has done just a fabulous job. Um, obviously, Nathan Rourke probably made him look better, but he's done a fabulous job uh, with the the offense of the BC Lions. Now you've got a good running back in James Butler. You've got, I would say, the best receivers in the league. Again, they've all looked better with Nathan Rourke, but. Uh, statistically, it's it's lights out with like uh, four, four outstanding receivers that we're all going to go over a thousand yards with Nathan Rourke, and you've got a good offensive line. So, do, do you expect that uh, you know O'Connor with this one chance should do better because everybody around him is is a, a good player? Yeah, they're good players, but you know when you think of of Rourke and what his superpowers have been it's been accuracy it's been the speed by which he processes what he sees defensively and it's the it's the hitting the ball in some really tight windows i mean he he has thrown to dominic rhymes alone where two defenders are inches away from the football and he zings it right in between them to, a, to his receiver who barely misses being sandwiched. No, I, I mean, know. how many times have we seen that from him? Now, I'm not, I don't think anyone should suspect um, Michael O'Connor is going to be that accurate. I just, he's, this, Nathan Rourke is a different level, you know, and that's why everybody has been talking about that this hurts the league. I mean, it's, it's disappointing for the entire league because he's just, he is just a phenom. At the position, I haven't seen anything like it in my time in broadcasting or playing in the game over 30 years. So, uh, you know, I, I just hope that people give Michael O'Connor a chance just to be a young 
quarterback who's going to be nervous against a very good Saskatchewan defense and uh, not expect him to throw with the accuracy that Nathan Rourke has thrown with because no one in the league has done that. That's for sure. Now we're going into the second half of the season now. Uh, Of course, Labor Day is always symbolic. uh, On the weekend is symbolic of, okay, we're getting into fall football. Any trends uh, you're seeing right now with teams? Is there is there any teams that that stick out to you as being in the uptrend, and any other teams being in the downtrend? Well, I'm going to give Edmonton just a little. I know they played Ottawa. Uh, you know, I get that they got Ottawa again, but Ottawa has really struggled. I, I I think Edmonton with Taylor Cornelius, I've seen some growth in him. You know, I I've seen uh, Taylor Cornelius show us that he can really run quite effectively. I mean, he had over 70 yards two weeks ago. He had over almost 50 yards rushing in this win against Ottawa this past weekend. And, you know, when he does both of those in combination, I think, you know, he can he can really lead that team and, and maybe do some good things. I mean, uh, they, I think they still got a ways to go because I'm not sure they have all the horses they need. But... Um, you know, I, th- I would say the trends, though, Don, to me is I have been, uh, you know, as a guy who just has tremendous passion for this game and by extension the country, mm-hmm. that this, this game has provided through-the-roof entertainment every single week. Totally. We're getting one-possession games right down to the wire, um, and – and, and we have Canadians that are excelling. The Philpott brothers are a great story. And every time I watch them, I think, man, these guys are going to be superstars. <laughs> I, I, I am cheering for Schaefer Baker to get the ball more because we have, some, we have some Canadian athletes on the field that are world-class. And, you know, and, and Nathan's story has been so good all year. Uh, we're going to have to put that one on hold for a while. But I just – I think the entertainment value of our game has been through the roof great, um, and and it proves across the country that the product is not broken. The product is fantastic, and the game is going to take you to the edge of your seat right down to the final three minutes. That's been the trend to me. That's what jumps out at me in the first half of the year. No, I totally agree. It's been the most entertaining CFL football season uh, that I remember as well for a long time, and and the, the changes that they made to help the offenses are working. I love the hash marks uh, and where they've brought them in closer. And, and uh, it's probably in terms of parity uh, for uh, budgets and player salaries and whatnot, the parity is the best of any pro league in, in North America. Anyway, I digress. We've got to go to news. Glenn, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, hopefully I'll be chat- chatting with you a little bit later. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. And we're heading into the final turn of Sports Cage uh, for this Tuesday. Of course, Sports Cage is brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreational groups of ballsy uh, with a much-deserved day off. Zinger, any texts? Yeah, we got some texts rolling on in on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 3069366262 William in uh, Vancouver area says he hopes that uh 
mayor in Calgary gets hurt. No, I don't think that would be good. Would it? I don't think we need to see any more injuries to, <laughs> to our quarterback. Hope somebody gets hurt. Yeah, he he wants oh. a mayor in Calgary to get hurt now. Maybe maybe he's a BC Lions fan and he's a bit salty because Rourke went down. But yeah, that's a very hard. You know what? You never cheer for. <laughs> Anybody, obviously, to get hurt. No. Uh, also, Leonard is on the text line. Calgary having a very high standard when it comes to quarterback. Uh, the question is, Don, Leonard says, why don't we have a high standard here in Saskatchewan? Well, I mean, like like I said with uh, Glenn Suter, there's nobody that's recruited quarterbacks better than John Huffnagel uh, in Calgary, and there's probably no better uh, coach that coaches quarterbacks than Dave Dickinson, and you just have to, you know, you just have to tip your hat to them and to compare any team to Calgary for quarterbacks is folly because they are, they are the best at it in terms of finding their own quarterbacks. They don't make trades for quarterbacks. They don't do it. They yeah. don't have to make trades for quarterbacks. It's true. I well, mean, we're talking about would would Bo Levi Mitchell ever be in Saskatchewan? Well, guess what. Calgary doesn't operate like that. Yeah, they they find their own. Remember when Bo Levi almost landed in Saskatchewan? Like he was one plane trip away, and I think he was on the record of saying, or someone close to him said, if he would have got on that plane, he would have been a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. Do you remember that a couple of years well, back? Well, I also remember errors when players at the end of their careers, when they were not as effective, came to Saskatchewan. Mm. And if Bo Levi came to Saskatchewan, and we have no idea if he would, and we'd never suggest that he is coming to Saskatchewan. That's ridiculous to suggest that, but this is Sports Talk Radio. That's <laughs> oh, what we yeah, do. That's what we do here. While we'd be getting a quarterback at the tail end of his career yeah. that isn't as good as he used to be, yeah. uh, that would be the situation. So, that would be. TC and Medicine Hats also on the text line. Uh, TC says, I'm looking forward to seeing Hickson set the tone, and uh, run the ball. He's an absolute beast, TC says. Uh, TC also says Mario Alford may become more involved in the offense, according to Coach Dickey with a big thumbs-up emoji there from TC. And then last note from TC in Mid-Hat, he says Luke rules. Absolutely Luke rules. Luke is the man. So, DC's uh, a Luke fan. Oh, yeah. Eli's also in the text line now. <laughs> we get a lot of text here. Uh Nothing has gone right for Cody since uh, Moss has gotten here. Check that one out. The Riders. Well, he's not wrong, I guess, huh? I mean, well, like I wrong, said, but... listening to Jason Moss, he's very knowledgeable about football. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people are all that convinced that he's as big of a problem as some fans think he is. But, yeah. Uh, Let's just hope that they get the ball moving Friday. Oh, Ballsy, of course, says a day off, a much-deserved day off. But before he took it, he did chat with Regina uh, Thunder president, Murad El-Khatib. All right. So your team's off to a 2-0 and start, winning two home games. Uh, last game, not so easy, though. The Winnipeg Rifles have put up a pretty good fight. Well, i got to tell you, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot more parity in the league this year. And... You know, that's, I think, a function of stronger franchises and, uh, you know, more vibrancy to junior football in uh, in the CJFL, in particular in the Prairie Football Conference. So, you know, Winnipeg gave Saskatoon a run last week, uh, losing 19-10, to 10, and they took us right to a few minutes left in the fourth quarter. We won that game by a couple of points. So, again, a win is a win. It's early in the season. It's uh, It's time to look at what we did well. 
and uh, clean up and keep on going week by week. Yeah, but I will tell you, though, two wins at home, regardless of the opponent, that's half your home game. So it's important to win those home games. You don't make the playoffs if you don't win uh, all or most of your home games. Well, definitely. Listen, we're coming off an 8-0 season last year. And, you know, again, we keep telling our our boys, you know, it's a journey this year uh, to the Canada Bowl, you know, which the Prairie Football Conference is going to be hosting. So, you know, it's a week-by-week improvement, uh, Michael. We want to get better every week. you got to win those home games. There's no doubt about it. We're going to have some tough road games, you know, including this week heading off to Edmonton to see the Edmonton Huskies, who, you know, again, are perennial challengers to the Hilltops and the Thunder in terms of the top three teams in this uh, conference. So, you know, happy with the progress, but certainly a lot of opportunity for us to uh, to continue to to get better but you know we're a bit banged up now so we got to just uh show the resiliency of the team and next man up there's going to be some young men real young men that are going to get an opportunity to play in uh, in the next few games you're a world entrepreneur uh you know agt food so you see big yep. pic- you see big picture so i like that so i'm asking you this why can't the edmonton area football teams all three of them the 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 golden bears the Wildcats, the Huskies, and even the Calgary Colts who have a solid uh, amateur football program, why can't they field consistently competitive teams when Regina and Saskatoon from smaller centers can do that? You know, I think, Michael, we've just got this football culture where, you know, again, you know, maybe it's the lack of, you know, other professional sports that, you know, we don't have in this province that, you know, uh, you know when kids are growing up, you know, Regina Minor football in particular, you know, for us, uh, you know, very important developmental program for the kids that are coming through and Saskatoon Minor football. And then, you know, we're really getting, you know, some some huge diamonds in the rough that we're finding out in areas like Winyard. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got six kids from Yorkton, yeah. you know, who are on our roster this year. Again, big, strong Prairie boys from, from Yorkton, uh, you know, including a kid Reese McCormick who's a 19 year old kid who uh you know went to the riders camp this year as a 19 year old you know competing against uh, men in the uh, in the riders uh, camp side so I think that's you know what we're seeing in Alberta is you know they're definitely uh, getting better I mean Calgary this uh, week did beat the Edmonton Wildcats they are off to a one and one start uh, when I took over as president of the Thunder Calgary was 0 and 8 I think two seasons in a row so, uh, you know, we are seeing improvement there for sure. Uh, again, they're, uh, they're reaching in, but their programs just aren't as organized as ours. And, and I think that that's, that's really it. Our kids are just in football. RMF develops. The SAS Selects have been a good uh, addition. And uh, the rural area programs are starting to get stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Amir at Al-Khatib joining us here. He is, of course, uh, the... Uh... World entrepreneur, like I said, with AGT Foods, but uh, grassroots guy, president of uh, the Regina Thunder football team. You and your wife, Michelle, very involved in amateur football. Uh, what, what, what keeps you guys coming back? Because you don't have kids involved in it anymore. What keeps you coming back? Are you like a surrogate dad now to 50, 60, 80 <laughs> other uh, boys and girls, so to speak, or ladies? Well, yeah, definitely for Michelle, that's a, that's a big part of it. I mean, she's the registrar of the club and, uh, you know, very involved and, you know, for us, uh, Michael, it's it's uh, football is the uh, ultimate team sport. You know, it's one where you know I, the reason I love the the uh, the sport is you know every young man and every young woman or, or or boy or girl has an opportunity to play. Whether you're the tallest, the shortest, the the smallest, or the biggest kid, 
there's a position for you in football. And, you know, you don't see that in other sports, right? You know, again, I was a big boy growing up. Well, again, there was an O-line position for me Hmm. where I could be a star in football. And, you know, that's what I love about it. You know, we're trying to build young men in the Thunder program today. And when I took over the program four years ago, you know, it was about success off the field. That was our focus. It was about increasing the number of student-athletes. We're at 57 full-time athletes in school now at the Regina Thunder program. I mean, that's not what this program used to be known for. And all 57 of those kids get a scholarship to go to their post-secondary education. We've got employment coordinators. We've got a mental health program, you know, where we're working individually with our players. We've got goal setting every week. Uh, John Tokar and the coaching staff on that side have integrated that in. And what that's bringing for us is excellence on the field. You know, again, we finished last year number one ranked in the country. We fell a little short to the Hilltops in the playoffs. But this year, again, it's about continuing to grow that culture. And we've got all our kids back, and uh, we're going to make a run. All right. Football weekend in Saskatchewan coming up less than a month away. Uh, we got a 1-4 to four o'clock game. You guys taking on the Hilltops, Rams, and uh, Huskies close it out. There's a concert in between and the Riders the night before. It really is a weekend celebration. Now, we all know about the Rider games. You're a big part of that, too. But some of the best football I've watched in the last 5 to 10 years, either high school, junior, or university football. you got to get out and watch this. Get that bundle for all three games. Well, listen, I mean, this is, again, it's a celebration of the football culture in our province. And, you know, having those three games on a Friday and a Saturday, you know, in uh, in September. So, uh, you know, September 17th is the date on that. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, this is an opportunity, you know, for us to uh, to showcase, you know, the talent of junior football, youth sports, you know, to go along with, uh, you know, what uh, we're hoping is a, is a good turnaround for the riders. And, you know, ultimately, uh, Michael, we want to get people out to recognize that, you know, there's, uh, there's excellence in our football programs, but it's going to be a celebration. You know, this is a road to the Grey Cup football weekend in Saskatchewan. is another one of those stops on that road to, uh, to the Grey Cup in our province this year. You know, it's going to be a very exciting, uh, you know, opportunity to get all those games in, a, in basically, you know, a 24-hour period and, you know, very attractive opportunities with those bundles for families to pick up really reasonable tickets, come out and celebrate. There's going to be a concert. There's going to be activities in the park. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, again, a, a celebration of Saskatchewan, a celebration of our culture, and a celebration of some great athletes. One last thing. I want to give you a chance to get a plug. you got your, uh, your popular NFL uh, pool coming up here. Tell us about that. Well, you know, again, our, our biggest fundraiser is the NFL pool. And, uh, you know, again, we're, uh, I think I, I saw on the weekend, we're uh, 86% sold out. So we've got only 14% of the tickets left. So we got about four weeks until the cutoff. So, you know, go to the Regina Thunder uh, NFL pool website, you know, pick up your tickets. It's $20 draw. You fill out your name, you give us your email. Uh, we have a draw every week for a $500 prize. And, uh, you know, you don't even have to check your ticket. So it's the easiest ticket you buy and we send you the money when you win. And that raises money for our scholarship program. We've also announced uh, out now our Dinner of Champions, which is going to be October the 12th. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a great night uh, over at the Conexus Art Center. On October the 12th, uh, we're going to have uh, Jeremy O'Day, and we're going to have Dan Clark and Logan Furland, two of our alumni, who went right from the Junior Thunder program right to be starters in the CFL. That's so, awesome. you know, talking about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, a, an ability for us to kind of, 
give back to the professional franchise an opportunity to raise starters in the junior program that they can have without a draft pick. It's outstanding, Murad. Thanks for all you do in football. Thanks for taking time talking to me. Thanks a lot, Michael. Welcome back to Sports Cage. I'm Blaine Weiland, joined at number 45, Pete Robertson of the Saskatchewan Roughriders. And Pete, first game back last Friday. How did it feel to be back in the lineup? Man, it feel, feel really good to be back out there with the guys. Uh, feel good to run around. And uh, God bless me to uh, able to come back and uh, perform well with my team. Of course, you were joined with E.C. Leonard and uh, Gary Marino as well. Was it easier or more difficult to have a couple other guys uh, joining you in their first game back after an extended uh, leave from the team? Uh, it, was, it wasn't easy or, or difficult, I'd say. It was just more about all three of us getting back into motion because we all kind of went out at the same time, returned at the same time. And I think we all three uh, felt good by playing back in the game and uh, lining up with Lanier. And, uh, you know, that guy when we was out was uh, was causing havoc throughout the uh, the whole D-line. And, and we just all feel good to be back out there with him. Uh, what was your assessment after the game on Friday? You know, a situation where you guys did a lot of good things, but you didn't get the results you wanted in terms of a win. Uh, we just got to get back into motion. You know, BC is a really good team, and you can't take nothing from them. Uh, he got a really good quarterback with work, and, you know, unfortunately he had an injury during the game. But... Uh, they, they're a good team, and you, you have to play uh, well on all levels to, uh, to beat that team. Uh, in terms of uh, going back, being Friday, your first game back, was it more going off of adrenaline for that first game, and then the following weeks is going to be more about game conditioning? Um, no, it was just more about me getting back to the bases of swinging things with uh, running back with the guys. And, you know, like I said, it wasn't just me out. We was all out, and we just about all us getting back together and uh, feeling the rhythm of the game. You know, being out four weeks midseason, you know, it, it can – really take a toll with you being out a little bit. So it, it, it just feels good for all, all three of us to get back into the swing of it. Another home-and-home home set, uh, this time against BC in BC. Uh, does the advantage for the uh, in the home-and-home home set uh, go to the defensive line, defensive end in terms of the matchup but the offensive tackle? Do you get a more of a read of the tendencies of the tackles in terms of uh, them going off the ball in the huts? Um, you know, you, you really got to decide that during game time because uh, uh, certain good old linemen are good with switching up. You know what I'm saying? They uh, they get out with getting out the ball. And, and of course, we playing them home. So I think it'll be a little better on us. We won't have as much of uh, noise on the defensive side because, you know, they want their offense to focus. But uh, I think they'll give us a good chance to uh, still get a hold with the cadence. And uh, it's another quarterback back there. So I feel like the game will go a little bit different. Of course, you're the league leader in sacks when you went out with the injury. You're still among the league leaders uh, coming back. Were you surprised at all that you were still on top of the list? Uh, surprised? Uh, not really. Um, but... Um, I'll just say that I'm more eager to, to continue making big plays and uh, doing the things that my team need me to do to uh, force the win and uh, try to get a chance to go to that great cup. I know you touched on it before, but once again, maybe talk about uh, Lanier's play throughout the, the absences of yourself as well, Leonard and Marino. Oh, uh, man, Lanier played lights out, man. Uh, during four weeks, five weeks, we was all out, man. He played lights out. From from the defense end, a three tick to the nose, man, he, he was causing havoc. And, uh, when you got a guy like that that can make plays individually as a man, you know, it make you feel better when, you, when you're when you out. But then it also gives you that, that sense of I need to get back and help him. But, man, tip, we tip our hat to Lanier, man. He's he been battling through some things, and he, he's a great player for sure. In terms of yourself as a pass rusher, why do you think you excel as a pass rusher? Is it in terms of uh, multiple moves in your arsenal? Is there something else? Um, I think I more to say we're working with my team. Uh, I think I get better. I get better as long as you know as the team get better, and uh, the more as we the, the DBs do uh, handle they they in on their job with covering and the linebackers getting us a call. I do more well with when we all on the same page, and uh, I love rushing you know for the guys and 
try to get it back there to the quarterback before it's good enough time before they uh, release the ball. So just just running with them guys in general. You know, I don't really just base my individual skill because I got some guys out there that can play ball with me. Well, starting off this week, there's still a sense of optimism within the club, even though a difficult result on Friday. How difficult it is is that to have, a, you know, a positive attitude after a tough loss on Friday? Um, at this point, it's a man game, so it's not that difficult. You know, I learned a long time ago when I first started playing professional that the game now at this point is 90% mental and 10% physical. So you just got to be a man and uh, get past it. You know, the, the, the loss is going to come just like the wins, and you just got to move past it and look forward to the next. And I guess just talk about the mindset for the team as a whole as you enter now the second half of the season. Um, I be consistent, like I, I preach. You know, that's that's the biggest thing for us in this second half, you know, not even just the second half of the season, but when we come out second halves doing games, we just got to be consistent and we got to be ready to play at all times. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pete. Thank you. And meanwhile at Ryder practice, Ryder right guard and the pride of Campbell Collegiate, Evan Johnson was asked why the O-line is struggling. I mean, it's it's a tough league. There's a lot of really talented players out here. And, I mean, we've, we've had a hard time keeping continuity throughout the line. Obviously, I've spoken to that before. Just being familiar with the guys who are playing beside. Um, the guys who have stepped up have done an outstanding job. It's just a matter of just getting comfortable with each other and you know, feel confident that we're seeing the same thing out there. And how difficult is it, as you mentioned, with the guys beside, beside you, especially onto the left, you got a new center, even though he has a few games in in terms of Logan Bandy, uh -huh. and now you got a new right tackle in terms of Jamal Campbell, who's only played one game. How difficult is that yep. to adjust with the new bodies? Yeah, and Campbell's had a couple of years out in Toronto there as well. So um, it's... It, Obviously, it's got some challenges to it. I, I feel like we're playing really well right now as far as, you know, seeing things, getting our communication out. It's just a matter of, you know, sometimes executing against some high-level opponents such as, you know, in BC and coming up in Winnipeg here. I mean, it's absolutely a mental game. Um, throughout watching film, you kind of pick up on different things that maybe you personally are, you know, need to work on a little bit uh, or as the group as a whole as well. So. Um, the, the biggest thing is just making sure that we are working physically and mentally and getting on the same page all the way across. Yeah, I mean, the message throughout the whole team has just been, you know, obviously we all know we have to do better. We're not in the place that we want to be. But, you know, at the end of the day, we still get to play a game at the end of the week. We're, our season is far from over. We're still in the hunt. And so any day that you're, or any week that you're able to play a football game at the end is, uh, is a good week. It's like Christmas, Fat Man Flies at Midnight, you know what I mean? So it's all good. Uh, in terms of communication, I noticed that's been a, brought up a lot in terms of the struggles. Is that something in terms of before the snap, communicating what the defense you see in front of you, or is that after the hut in terms of the defenders coming at you in terms of different schemes, whether it's stunts or blitzes? Yeah, at different times it could be both. I mean, obviously defenses don't just line up and stay there and stay put, uh, both pre-snap and post-snap. So I feel like we're doing a good job of seeing things pre-snap and getting things called out correctly. And uh, just once, once the bullets start flying, once that ball is snapped, then uh, being able to adjust. Uh, BC's done a good job running different twists and things against us, uh, which has just caused us to get on different levels and not be as firm as we want to be. In terms of one-on-one -on -one battles, what do you think is more required? Do you think it's a situation of technique or just pure nastiness and aggressiveness? Hey, I, you, you don't play offensive line in the CFL without having a little nastiness and aggression to you. So um, it's, it's keying in. Uh, really coming into the game knowing that you're here to kick someone's butt and uh, make make a statement. So it's it's technique, it's aggression, and it's just knowing where you need to be to be in the right place to make that play. These home-and-home home sets, do you like them as an offensive lineman, seeing these defensive linemen a lot, uh, you know, back-to-back -back weeks? Well, I tell you what, especially after a loss, I really enjoy them. 
there's nothing like uh, like losing and having the chance to redeem yourself again the next week, especially going out to their place. Um, obviously, the chance, the chance and the focus is to win, and they beat us here, so we have to make sure we beat them over there. Are you preparing a situation? This could be a possible playoff preview for you guys in a situation. You might have to go to BC and go against an opposing crowd in the Western semifinal, possibly, or a final, possibly. Yeah, I mean, playoffs are a long ways away right now. Obviously, we're concerned about the standings, but uh, as far as playoff games and playing away versus home, that's pretty far off my radar. I just try to keep it week to week right now. Is there any big time adjustments you got to meet uh, uh, that stems from last week's games in terms of that quick turnaround when you're facing BC again this week? Uh, we just know that they've got some really good players, really physical players inside, making sure that we're all able to sit down on the bull rush and uh, adjust off twist games when they appear. I know it's a couple weeks away, but the football in Saskatchewan weekend's coming up uh, in the middle of September, uh, being a former Husky, uh, playing in Saskatchewan. What do you think about uh, the whole atmosphere of football being celebrated in Saskatchewan that weekend? I think it's outstanding. Uh, Saskatchewan's been a big hub for football for you know as long as I've been alive sort of thing. So uh, being, in, being a former Husky, being a current Saskatchewan Rough Rider, you know, I love football, I love Saskatchewan, so I think it's going to be a great weekend. And that's it for Sports Cage for Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Uh, we thank you for listening. Ballsy is back in his usual host chair tomorrow. On behalf of Sean Kleisiger and myself, have a good evening.